0: Please turn with me to the book of Genesis, chapter 3. Genesis, chapter 3. I will begin in verse 20 and read to the end of the chapter. Genesis, chapter 3, beginning in verse 20. Hear the word of the Lord. The man called his wife's name Eve. Eve. Because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. We've been going through Genesis chapter 3. And we saw last week that a good way to summarize Scripture's teaching is that God seeks to give Himself to us in a communion bond, on a holy people, in a holy realm, advancing us beyond testing through an obedient federal head into Sabbath rest. It's a mouthful. I got that from one of my professors, so it's not my summary. But what is interesting is that before the fall, that's what God is seeking to do, and after the fall, God is still seeking to do the same thing. He wants to give Himself to us in fellowship, in communion, in a bond, on a holy people, in a holy realm, to advance us beyond testing through one obedient head so that we would enter into Sabbath rest. Genesis chapter 3 gives us the tragic account of how sin entered into the world. It gives us a a picture of what's really wrong, what's really, at at, at the fundamental level, wrong with the entire human race. Now, before I focus on sin, that's what I'm wanting us to consider tonight, I would like to take us very quickly through the very last few verses maybe verses 22 through 24 of this passage to tell you what happens at the end because we, we went through verse by verse last week and we got all the way to verse 22. In verse 22 through 24 God excommunicates the creation uh, his two pair this this royal couple that he had made Adam and Eve. He excommunicates them from the garden. He realizes that man had taken of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and if he would eat of the tree of life then he would have been confirmed in his status as dead in his trespasses and sins. But God did not want that, and therefore he in verse 24 he drives man out of the garden and he places cherubim over the entrance to the garden. It's interesting that in the time of the tabernacle and the temple, over the Ark of the Covenant, the cherubim were placed. And this is a, you might say, an, an echo of Eden. This, the, this, these cherubim were to, to guard the holy sanctuary of God. And the, the Ark was a symbol of the presence of God. It was the place where God and man were to meet. It was to be a holy place, And, of course, the tabernacle and the temple in those days are laid out in segregated different compartments, you might say, in order that no one would go directly before God lest he die, because we needed a blood sacrifice in order to enter in to God's presence. Here's what John Calvin has said. I, I would like to quote John Calvin a number of times this evening. He's not inspired, but he is very useful. Here's what John Calvin has said about the tree of life. He says that God deprived Adam of the symbol. He therefore takes also away the thing that is signified. The tree was given as a pledge of life. Wherefore, that Adam might understand himself to be deprived of his former life, a solemn excommunication is added. Not that the Lord would cut man off from all hope of salvation, but by taking away what he had given would cause man to seek new assistance elsewhere. There remained an expiation and sacrifices which might restore him to the life he had lost. Previously, direct communication with God was the source of life to Adam, but from the moment in which he became alienated from God, it was necessary that Adam should recover life by the death of Christ, by whose life he then lived. What God is doing in excommunicating Adam is, although he said, if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die, and he does reject Adam in part, you might say, but he still offers hope. And we looked at that hope last week in Genesis 3.15. The seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. He also made Adam and Eve garments of skins in verse 21 and clothes them, and Adam calls his wife Eve to signify that she's going, there is, in fact, going to be life even in the midst of this death. Having said that, by way of introduction, let us consider the doctrine of sin. I would like us to ask three questions. This might seem a little bit more topical. I hope you will indulge me. But the three questions would be this. How do we contract this disease that we call sin? That's the first question. Second, what are the signs and symptoms of this disease called sin? And third, how are we healed from it? We see all of the answers to these questions here in this passage. First, how did we contract this fatal disease? The Bible tells us that What is really wrong with the human race is not anything external to us, but rather something that has happened inside of us. Many people want us to believe that external conditions, whether that's unjust social conditions, oppression or poverty or inequality or... um, Neglect or abuse or any psychological trauma. There's all kinds of things outside of us and some inside of us that are evil and wicked and that we see in the world. But the Bible says that none of those things ultimately is the cause of the fall. It's ultimately not the cause of evil. All of those things are evil. We see them. But ultimately, what's the cause of everything that we see, all of the evil is sin disobedience that's the primary primary way that we have contracted this disease that we call sin a, a real good summary of this would be 1 John chapter 3 verse 4 that says sin is transgression of the law that's what sin is it's disobedience fundamentally the way that we contracted this disease Is that we disobeyed God's law. When the serpent comes to Eve early on in Genesis 3, and he tempts her and he says, You shall not surely die, you shall not surely die, it's a direct contradiction to the word of God. Here's what John Calvin has said that Adam and Eve's best restraint against sin was the thought that God is just. That nothing is better than to obey his commands, and that to be loved by God is the consummation of a happy life. To be loved by God is a consummation of a happy life. One of the the reasons, in my opinion, that led to their disobedience was they did not trust or believe in God and his word. When God says, you shall not eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, lest you surely die, I wish that he would have said all of the things that would happen as a result. All the the kinds of evil and suffering we see in the world. But he didn't say those things. And many theologians have asked, well, why didn't God tell us all of the things that might happen as a result? Some of them have said... Perhaps the reason is, is because God is wanting us to trust him, to love him just for the sake of himself, that God is the creator God. He's asking, he's asking his children to trust him just because he's a good father, just because he's the creator, just because he's God, not because necessarily all of these things might happen, but just because God is God and we are creatures and he has asked us not to eat of the tree. But we didn't believe that God really had our best interest at heart. And we still, that's one of the main results of sin, that we don't trust that he is, in fact, good and loving, and that if we follow his word, we will, in fact, be blessed. We rather would believe and trust in ourselves, Here's what John Calvin again has said. The faith that Eve had in the Word of God was the best guardian of her heart and of all her senses. But now, after the heart had declined from faith and from obedience to the Word of God, she corrupted herself and all her senses and depravity was diffused through all parts of her soul as well as her body. Eve was to live by faith in the word of God. Adam was to live by faith in the word of God, but they didn't believe and trust. Here's one other reason, I think, that led to the disobedience. When in verse five, Satan comes to Eve and says that you will, you will not surely die, but rather your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. Knowing good from evil. You will be like God. One of the reasons I think that led to the disobedience was that we did not wish to keep our place as below God, as a creature, that station. It is a high station. It is, in fact, God's crowning act of creation was to make man in his own image. And yet, we wanted to rise up and be like God. We would rather have our way and make our law and serve ourselves than to serve God. This was, in fact, one of the reasons that led to the disobedience. What are some of the signs and symptoms of this disease that we call sin? We see them, starting in verse 9, when they sin, and in verse 9 of chapter 3, they hear God's sound, walking in the garden of the cool of the day, and the Adam and his wife hide themselves from the presence of the Lord. And when God asks them, where are you? Adam says, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I hid. I was afraid, he says. I was afraid. We see the entrance of fear, shame, guilt. These are the signs and symptoms of this disease. Their eyes are opened, and instead of feeling glorious and emboldened, rather they feel shame. In verse 7, they sew fig leaves together, and because their, their eyes are opened, and rather at the end of chapter 2, it says they're naked and they're unashamed. Now they're, they're still naked, but they're ashamed. One of my favorite psalms in the Psalter is Psalm 139. And Psalm 139 begins with this, this sentence, you have searched me and you have known me. He's the psalmist there is putting his finger on something that God knows all and sees all. He sees what you do, he sees what you think, he sees everything about you. But since the fall, we are afraid of being fully known. That's one of the consequences of sin. Have you ever been afraid to share something with a friend or maybe? you know, someone that you wanted to be friends with, and you're afraid if you shared too much about yourself, they may not like you. You know, it's it's even deeper than that, because deep down, there is the echo of Eden that we have been rejected by God because of our sin. We feel shame and we feel guilt, and we feel corruption because, apart from Christ, we are guilty, and we have committed shameful acts. And therefore, we're afraid of being fully known and fully rejected. But in Christ, we are fully known and fully loved. It's only through the second Adam that we are fully known, fully forgiven, and fully loved. And we are able to have the assurance of God's love that we need from the moment in which we're born. We need to know that we're loved. We need to know that we're accepted. We need to know these things. And yet, because of sin, we end up guilty and ashamed. That's one of the signs and symptoms. Martin Luther has a great quote of saying, when he said that in Romans, that our nature is curved in on itself, incurvatus in se. He said, our nature, by the corruption of the first sin, being so deeply curved in on itself that it not only bends the best gifts of God towards itself and enjoys them, or rather even uses God Himself in order to attain these gifts, but it also fails to realize that it so wickedly, curvedly, and viciously seeks all things, even God, for its own sake. One of the signs, another sign or symptom of this disease, is that rather than seeking to get God Remember, God wants to give Himself to us. That's one of the summaries, the, the, the things I said in my summary. But rather than wanting God for His sake, we want to control God and use God for our sake. And we want to control and use other people for our sake. That's one of the signs and symptoms. We also desire to know more than we should. Here's John Calvin again. Eve erred in not regulating the measure of her knowledge by the will of God. and We all daily suffer under the same disease because we desire to know more than is right and more than God allows. I bet all of you have had the experience of, a, of being a child and wanting to know why you can't do certain things. <laughs> Remember, I wanted to know, I had things I wanted to do or buy or and there was always that moment when mom and dad would say, well, we need to talk about that. And they'd go off and they'd talk about it. And I always wanted to have my ear and listen to what they were saying, you know? Isn't it true that we, we would like to know a lot of things in this life? Why God has allowed certain evil and suffering to happen? Why God has allowed certain things to happen to me in my life? We want to know all kinds of things. But God doesn't give us all of the answers we would like to know. And that's because God is God And we are creatures. He's the shepherd, and we're the sheep. His knowledge is infinite, and our knowledge is this this big. Let me give you a handful of other signs and symptoms. This one comes from R. C. Sproul, reflecting on the first the first sin. We accuse God of being unjust. We demand that he be gracious. Here's what R.C. Sproul has said. We have come to expect God to be merciful. From there, the next step is easy. We demand it. When it's not forthcoming, our first response is anger against God, coupled with protest. It isn't fair. We soon forget that with our first sin, we would have forfeited all the rights to the gift of life. That I am drawing breath this evening is an act of divine mercy. God owes me nothing. I owe him everything. R. C. Sproul has a great story of when he was a professor, and he, for the first exam, said that, uh, excuse me, the first paper, he gave a deadline, and the half the class went past the deadline and turned their papers in late. And he said, okay, you know, I told you I would fail you if you did that, but I'm going to be gracious this time and give everyone uh, a pass, but don't let it happen again. And then when the, the second paper came due, three-fourths of the students turned their papers in late. I may not be getting all, the, all of the details right, but then he says, I told you I would fail you, but I'll, I'll do it one more, I'll give you grace one more time. <laughs> and then, of course, the third paper came due, and all of the class missed the deadline, and he, he failed a quite, quite a number, maybe perhaps even all of them. And it was to show this point, he, he uses this in his book, The Holiness of God, to show that at first, we're surprised by grace. Wow, God, you know, our professor's been gracious. And then we kind of come to expect it. Well, he didn't, he didn't hurt me last time, so I don't think he's gonna grade me, you know, he's not gonna fail me this time. And then by the end of it, we just demand it. We often have that same attitude toward God and His grace. God is gracious, even in Genesis chapter 3. But that grace fails to surprise us because we've heard the story so many times. Let me give you a handful of other symptoms. Granted, not all of them are immediately evident here, but I believe that this can be supported through the rest of Scripture. Adam and all of his children, because they are doomed to toil the ground, find a lack of meaning and purpose in their life. I believe that's a sign and symptom of the disease of sin. They're frustrated in their toil that they can't find the satisfaction that God had created them for. That means that no matter how perfect the job may seem, it will never fully satisfy you. Freedom. People spend their lives trying to be- find freedom, but Scripture tells us that we are dead in our trespasses and sins apart from Christ, that we are enslaved and controlled by sin, that sin is really our master. It's our Lord apart from Christ. Self image. Because of the fall, people are destined to have either a too low opinion of themselves or a too high opinion of ourselves. We can't really see how we truly are. Either people might hate themselves and seek to have certain um, self-destructive tendencies, or they have a really high and inflated and proud sense of themselves. Identity. We don't have a sense of self-worth. That yes, we are created in God's image, and yet we've fallen and we need Christ. A sense of self-worth has been lost People go to different things looking for it, whether that's relationships or jobs or anything, money. All of the relationships that we had, I should have said this at the very beginning, all of the relationships are affected by sin, whether that's our vertical relationship, obviously, between God and man, or whether that's relationship between husband and wife or fathers and children. Every relationship, in some sense, is tainted by sin, The loss of blessing. We see this throughout Genesis. God blessed Adam in the beginning, Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply, but we also see that people like Jacob in the book of Genesis are desperate for for blessing. He steals the blessing from his brother, and then he wrestles an angel in order, and he says, I won't let you go unless you bless me. There's the blessing that we are seeking a blessing that only really God can provide Let me give you one final one before I close. Rest. The seventh day of creation was a a day of rest for God. It was a sign. It was a sign of the rest that we would enter into through Christ. The Sabbath is not only a law, the fourth commandment, but it is also a sign of what waits for the people of God. There waits a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And because of sin, because of the fall, as Augustine has said, our hearts are restless until we find our rest in God. How are we healed from this? If, if the signs and symptoms of this disease are so many, and I've really just scratched the surface of them, I appreciate you indulging me as, I, as I'm summarizing a lot of Scripture's teaching here. How are we healed? How are we healed? Well, there's only one way in which we are healed, and that is through the way the truth and the life. We need a second Adam. The first Adam fell in regards to the tree, while well, the second Adam climbed the tree of the cross in order that we could have fellowship with God. We were the first Adam caused the human race to be excommunicated from God's presence. We need a second Adam to give us, to restore us into that presence of God that we lost. Or put it this way, as I've heard other people say, sin is partially putting ourselves in God's place, isn't it? It's rising up and seeking to be in the place of God. Well, salvation is that God in the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, left his royal place and was humiliated by taking on flesh, dwelling amongst us, and God in the Lord Jesus Christ would put himself in our place. We wanted to be in God's place. That was sin, and therefore we see the reverse of that, that God, because he's loving and gracious, puts himself in a position that we deserve to be in, to be punished to endure the wrath of God. That's what we deserve. If sin is, is trying to usurp God's throne and take God's rights away from Him, salvation is God coming down and giving what, getting what we deserve. We deserve the wrath of God, and yet Christ Jesus, when He went to the cross, endured the wrath of God for you and for me. It's the reverse. The story ends in many ways the way it began, and yet better. Because in Revelation 22, we see the tree of life there in the new heavens and the new earth. And for those who have put their faith in Christ, the leaves of those tree, that tree is for the healing of the nations. And we will see his face, and we will be like him. We will dwell with God in a holy place. We will be a holy people in a holy place, Through our federal head, the Lord Jesus Christ, and we will enter into the rest that we've all been longing for in this life. Don't you want that? That will be a wonderful day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Almighty God, we thank you that you are a gracious God. We recognize that what, what Adam did in the garden, we would have done as well. That in our heart of hearts, we have sought to be like you. We have transgressed your law. We've disobeyed you. We've not put faith in your word. We've sought instead to make our way in this world apart from you. We pray you would forgive us for where we have sinned. Forgive us for when we've sought freedom and self-worth and an identity and a source of of life apart from you, a source of satisfaction in our toil apart from you. We recognize that all of that is futile apart from Christ. What we are seeking in this world cannot be found here. We pray that you would cause us to repent of sin, that you would cause us to listen to your word closely, that we would find our life in the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, the second Adam who stood in our place and got what we deserve so that we could get the righteousness that only he deserves. We thank you for this in Jesus' name, amen.